Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. We're glad that you're here. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And today we are wrapping up our series, Tale of Three Kings. And as we've been going through this series, uh, really what we've been trying to do is answer the question, uh, how can I rise to the greatness that God has for me. We've been looking at the, at the stories of these three kings and learning lessons from their life about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And honestly, most of it has been what we shouldn't do because they have some pretty negative examples for us. I think the reality is that each one of us in here aspires to greatness. I think anyone in here wants to be great. I don't think anyone sets out to be a failure or to be medi- mediocre. I think all of us aspires to be great, but the reality is that we really can fall short of greatness. And every time we do that, it is because of choices that we make. Greatness is not some inherited quality. Greatness is not something you're just born with or you aren't. It's not the results of your looks. It's not the results of your height, which is good news for someone like me, right? You don't have to be tall to be great. At least that's what my mom keeps telling me. (laughs) But, But greatness really is something that we have to choose to step into. We have to avoid the mistakes of Saul and of David. And as we're going to see today, we have to avoid the mistakes of Absalom. And last week we talked about David and his failure to deal with his son Amnon who who took advantage of his sister Tamar. And we're going to be going back a little bit to that story and moving forward from there. And we're going to learn three lessons from the life of Absalom. Because here's the reality, just like Saul and just like David, Absalom really did have the potential for greatness. We're going to see in our text today that he was, he was somebody people wanted to follow. He was, he was a leader that had passion. He had ambition. He was willing to get stuff done and take care of things, which would have looked really, really attractive compared to the, the weak David that we had at this point in the story. But as we're going to see, he's going to fall short of greatness and I want to remind us as we get into this story that, the, that these stories aren't written down for us to have more knowledge or just for entertainment or for us to sit in judgment on these characters. These stories are really written for us to use as a mirror, to examine our own lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 talks about how the stories of the Bible happened to them as examples and they were written down as warnings for us so that we don't have to repeat their mistakes we can, we can do what they did that was right, like what David did earlier in his life, but we don't have to repeat their mistakes. And so let's dive into our story. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13. If you, at least that's where we're going to start, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a copy at our Welcome Center. And so at this point in the story, David's son Amnon has, has taken advantage of his sister Tamar, and he sent her away in Disgrace, But we're going to look at how Absalom responds to that in verse 20. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister. And so Absalom takes his sister into his house after she's been disgraced. He provides for her, he protects her. And that was a really good and a really noble thing that he did. He did what David should have done. But we also see the seeds of something very, very dangerous in his heart. We see that he hates 
his brother. And he plays the long game. He doesn't do anything to Amnon right away, but he chooses to hold on to that anger, to hold on to that hatred. And to make matters worse for Absalom, Amnon was next in line to be king. He was the the firstborn, and so that naturally meant that he would have become king next. And so if uh, if I'm Absalom, I'm probably thinking to myself, I need to protect the world from a king like that. Like if he's gonna take advantage of his sister while he's a prince, what is he gonna do while he's a king? I want to I spare the world from a guy like that. And so Absalom waits two years, maybe long enough to avoid suspicion, to maybe, maybe, maybe make people think that he'd forgotten about it. And he comes up with a plan to have his brother murdered. Let's pick up the story in verse 28. Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is high, or excuse me, is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up, mounted their mules, and fled. They thought they were going to get killed too. While they were on their way, the report came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons. Not one of them is left. The king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground. And all his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. So Absalom, after two years of scheming, gets his revenge. He takes matters into his own hands, and he kills his brother Amnon. And there's an important phrase in the next verse that I think gives us a window into the heart of Absalom, who he has become in his anger and in his hatred. And and remember, the report came to King David that all of his sons are dead, but there's this guy there who we've actually seen earlier in the story, Jonadab, who had been the uh, the friend, the wicked advisor that had told uh, Amnon that uh, helped him come up with that scheme to take advantage of his sister. He is there, and he sets the record straight. Apparently, he knew more about what was going on with David's sons than David did. But let's look at verse 32. But Jonadab, son of Shimeon, David's brother, said, "My lord should not think that they killed all the princes; only Amnon." is dead. And so he corrects that report. But then he says this, this has been Absalom's express intention ever since the day Amnon raped his sister Tamar. And so Amnon's friend is there and he sets the record straight. And he tells us this has been uh, Absalom's express intention, his single aim, his one goal in life ever since that happened. And, And the Hebrew word there actually is, this is what's been on his mouth for this last two years. Two years, he's been plotting, he's been scheming, he's been holding on to that anger, figuring out when he can get his revenge. This hasn't been two years of him trying to work through his anger, trying to forgive his brother. This has been two years of scheming, two years of saying, I am going to set the record straight. I'm going to make this wrong right. And I think if we're honest this morning, all of us can feel a little bit for Absalom. If someone raped one of my sisters, I might be plotting their murder. I I, got to admit that to you this morning. I think we can feel that this morning, especially if the authorities did nothing about it like David does in our text. But what we've got to realize is that what Absalom did, that was revenge. It was not justice. And those are two very different things. It is very easy in our anger, in our hurt, in our pain to justify those feelings of of wanting to get back at that other person. And what we say to ourselves is, oh, I just want justice. I just want what's right to be done. 
when in reality, all we want is our pound of flesh. We want revenge. We want to get back at that person. What Absalom should have done is try to get his father deal with the situation. He should have tried to go to the elders or the religious leaders and say, hey, you guys need to do something about this. He should have tried to pray to God and say, God, you need to intervene in this situation. But instead, he takes matters into his own hands and he kills his brother. And in this, we see the first choice we need to make if we're going to become great. If we're going to become all that God has for us, first, we need to choose forgiveness over revenge. We need to choose forgiveness over revenge, even in difficult circumstances, and probably I should say, especially in difficult circumstances, we need to choose to forgive those who have wronged us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they get away with doing wrong. It doesn't mean that we just let abusers off the hook. Forgiveness means that we're going to leave it up to God. See, God has promised to right all wrongs, and he's pretty capable of taking care of things. Maybe he won't do it in the way that we like. Maybe he won't do it in the timing that we would prefer. But God has promised to right all wrongs, and so we need to leave it to him. And forgiveness is really at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because the Bible tells us that really we are the ones that need forgiveness. And we are most willing to forgive when we understand just how badly we need forgiveness. When we understand the debt that we owed God and that he decided to cancel that based on nothing that we had done. All of a sudden, we realize, man, how can I not extend that same forgiveness someone who's wronged me, when I realize what I have done and what I have been forgiven of, it is that much easier to forgive those who've wronged me. Even if we don't feel as bad as others, we have sinned, we are deserving of judgment, but God sent Jesus in the middle of our rebellion to deal with our sin problem. Maybe you're here and you aren't contemplating murder and so you feel like, you know what, maybe I'm okay and this, this doesn't apply to me that much. But I think if we're honest this morning, in our hurt and in our pain, there's, there's probably a little bit of anger there. There's probably a little bit of angst. There's probably a little bit of bitterness. There's probably a little bit of, I want that person to suffer. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 5 that if we have anger in our hearts, we are subject to judgment. Murder isn't the only sin of anger. And, and so that leads us to ask the first question of the mirror of God's word. Who is it that you need to forgive? What bitterness do you need to let go of? What hurt, what pain, what wrong against you that you've been holding on to do you need to let go of? And for some of you this morning, choosing to forgive is it's going to require a lot of work. For some of you, the story of Tamar feels really personal because it's very similar to your story. And if that's you, there's probably going to be a lot of counseling and prayer and community and even some legal things that, that need to happen in that process of Forgiveness, but I can promise you this as someone who's been wronged and who's learned to forgive in that, holding on to that bitterness will destroy you. But letting go gives a freedom to your soul like nothing else. Letting go of that hurt, letting go of that wrong, choosing to forgive frees your soul in a way that you just can't describe unless you've experienced it. Maybe today can be the day you have a conversation with someone and say, hey, I need you to help me. I need you to help me forgive my brother, my dad, my mom, my friend, my coworker, my boss, whoever it might be. I've been holding this against them and I need your help to help me forgive them. 
Well, there's more in the life of Absalom that I think we need to learn from this morning. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 15. At this point, Absalom, he had fled uh, for a while after he murdered his brother. Probably thought that was a good idea to get out of there for a little while. Um, But eventually, um, Joab Joab actually gets involved and uh, brings him back. And so now we have King David still on the throne, but we've got Absalom in uh, the capital city of Jerusalem. So let's pick up the story in, in chapter 15, verse 1. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. And that might seem a little strange to us, but really what that's doing is that's a sign to everyone around that you're somebody that's really, really important. Like today, maybe you'd buy a really nice car and get a driver and get some security guys. Like someone, when someone shows up with that, you're like, okay, that's somebody who's really important. That's essentially what he's doing here. Verse two, he would get up early and stand in the side, uh, by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then anyone who has a complaint or case would come to me and I would see that they receive justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And so what is he doing here? Basically, what he's doing is he's saying, you know what, I should be king. I deserve to be king. The guy who's on the throne right now, he's not doing a very good job. He's not making sure you see justice. And I could do a way better job than him, which is always really easy to say when you're not the one in charge, right? When you don't have to bear that pressure. And really, this is a huge sign of pride. Absalom is a guy who learned all the wrong lessons in life. When everything happened with his brother, he learned, you know what? I guess I can't trust trust my brothers. They're not reliable people. When David does nothing about it, I guess I can't trust my father. And so he seems to conclude, you know what? The only person I can trust, it's me. I'm the only one who can take care of things. I'm the only one who can actually see that things get done. And that's really the lesson of pride, isn't it? God can't deal with it or he won't. People around me can't deal with it or they're they're not. And so I need to take care of everything, which by the way, is an exhausting and an impossible weight to carry, but that is the weight of pride. So Absalom becomes someone who's very proud. He thinks he'd do a better job leading the kingdom, and he makes sure everyone around him knows that. In fact, later in the story, we're, we're told that he builds a monument in his own honor, and he names it after himself. Who does that? Someone who's consumed with pride, thinks very highly of themselves. And so in that, we see the second choice that we need to make. If we're going to achieve greatness, we need to choose humility over pride. Do the exact opposite of what our friend Absalom did. We need to choose humility over pride. And while most of us are probably not literally building monuments, I think we can still start to build things in our own honor. Make sure our social media presence is a very certain thing because we want people to think certain things about us. Maybe it's our church persona. Maybe it's our house. Maybe it's our career. But we want, we want to make sure it, it looks a certain way because we want people to think that we're something special. 
Parents, maybe for you, it's your kids. They, they need to be the perfect athlete or the perfect student or the perfect church kid because you need other people to know what kind of parent you are. Maybe for you, it's the truck. Maybe it's how you look. Maybe it's having the best Christmas decorations or the best presents to give to others. I don't know what it is for you, but I think it can be tempting for all of us to start building monuments in our own honor, not even realize that we're doing it. To be honest with you this morning, this is an area I struggle with more than I would care to admit. It can be really easy for me in my weakness to be motivated to, to preach well or to lead well, to help other people, not because I want God to be pleased with me, but because I want them to think certain things about me. I want them to think that I'm something special. And so that leads us to the next question of the mirror of God's word. Is there someone you need to humble yourself before? Maybe we could ask it this way. Are you starting to build monuments in your own honor? And, and if you are, how can you start to tear those down? I think one really helpful thing you could do is start asking for advice. Start asking for help. That's the last thing we want to do in our pride, right? Someone who's proud is like, oh, no, I got this. This is, this is all me. But if we start asking for advice, even when we don't really think that we need it, I can start to tear, cut that out at the knees and help it to, to tear down those monuments. The Bible is clear that God hates pride, that he's against those who are proud. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the God of the universe against me. That's not going to work out well for me. Well, there's one more lesson to learn from the life of Absalom. After stealing the hearts of the people, he decides he's going he's to try and go for the throne. And, and David just kind of walks out of the city without even a fight. He just kind of leaves the kingdom in the hands of this man who's full of pride, who's full of anger and bitterness, um, who's willing to do all kinds of things. He just kind of leaves the throne to him. So he literally just walks into the palace and becomes king. And then he asks for some uh, advice on what his next move as king should be. So we'll be picking up the story in chapter 16, verse 20. Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice. What should we do? Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father, and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. And so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and he slept with his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So now we have Absalom sleeping with his father's concubines, and, and those, by the way, were kind of like wives, but with a lower status of power. And he's doing it in the sight of everyone. And to be clear, this is 100% a power move. Uh, sleeping with the former king's wives or concubines was basically saying, the throne is mine now. Forget that other guy. I am king. It was basically claiming the throne for yourself. And, and this really was a very effective strategy. It sent a very clear message. Absalom is king. The problem is that it was disgusting and it was wrong. And it's so interesting when you think about who is doing this. I mean, this is Absalom. Remember the, the guy who got so mad when his sister was taken advantage of? That is the guy who's now doing this. He's, he's doing uh, that in front of all, uh, all Israel. He's, he's forcing 10 of his father's concubines to have sex with him. And really, you could say he's becoming 10 times the monster that David or, Abs or Amnon ever were. And that's exactly what can happen to us in our bitterness and in our pride. You see, bitterness and pride slowly turns you into the monster that you seek to destroy. 
when you hold on to that bitterness, when you hold on to that anger, it lets evil reside in your heart. It lets that just be a part of your life and it will slowly turn you into the person that you do not want to be. I've seen this happen in my own heart. I've seen this happen in the lives of others. The more you dwell on what they did against you, the more you end up becoming like them. And Absalom allowed his bitterness and his pride to turn him into someone he did not want to be. He became someone who was willing to do whatever it took to get power, to be in control. And so this leads us to our last lesson from his life. If we want to be great, we need to choose what's right over what works. Again, this is a great strategy. It worked really well, but it was really, really wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be more concerned about what is right than just what is effective or what works. And while we might not be going to the extents that Absalom did, I think there are times when all of us can be tempted to go for whatever works, whatever's effective, whatever's just a little bit easier. So this leads us to ask the last question of the mirror of God's word. What, what sin are you rationalizing? What have you become okay with in your life that is just not okay? Maybe for you, it's at work. You're cutting corners. Maybe for you, it's at home. You're, you're not spending the time you should be with your family. Maybe for you, it's you're uh, rationalizing some coping mechanism like stress eating or drinking and telling yourself that it allows you to, to deal with that stress in a way that doesn't have you blow up on people. Maybe it's not reporting some of your income on your taxes. I don't know what it is. For you, but I think all of us can become experts really in rationalizing our sin and making us think that it's more okay than it actually is. And when we do that, we end up becoming the person that we don't want to be. Absalom fell short of greatness because he chose unforgiveness, he chose pride, he chose practicality. He, he missed out on the great king that he could have been because he wanted to take matters into his own hands and he wanted to do things his way. And really, every king that we've looked at in this series has fallen short in some way, whether it was for a time or for basically their whole reign. They have fallen short. All of them proved not to be the king that the people needed. You might even read through these stories and say, man, where is the hope? Like, is there any leader who's actually going to do what is right? Is there any leader who's actually going to measure up? Is there any leader who's going to be the king that the people needed? The good news is that the story doesn't end there. The Bible continues on into the New Testament and it tells us about the birth of another king. His name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the king that we needed. Not the one we deserved, but the king that we needed. He measured up where every other king fell short. Where Saul failed us, Jesus came through. Where David didn't come through, where, where David let us down, Jesus was there. Where Absalom failed, Jesus measured up. Jesus is the king that we need. Philippians 2 says this about him. Your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus chose to forgive us, even though forgiving us meant paying the price with his own life. Jesus chose to humble himself, 
Even though he was the king of all the universe and had every right to demand his way, he was the king that became a servant. Jesus chose what was right, even though what was right for him meant being tortured and murdered, ultimately for you and for me. See, there is no substitute for King Jesus. He is the king that we needed. He is the one who measures up in every way and is there for us at all times. Every other human leader is going to let us down at some point, but Jesus never has and he never will. If we want to step into the greatness that he has for us, we need to follow his example. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You've given us your word, that your word has stories that, that teach us so much about, about life, about who we should be, and about if we want to become great, the kind of things that we need to avoid. And Father, we thank you that the story didn't end in First and Second Samuel. It didn't end with, with David and Saul and with Absalom not coming through. God, we thank you that the story continued and the story tells us about Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that King Jesus is the king that we needed, that he came through and he was willing to, to pay the price with his own life so that we could have hope, we could have forgiveness, we'd actually experience life with you. Father, we thank you so much for King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.